It is good to be here this morning. For those of you who I didn't get a chance to introduce myself to yet, I am Eric Banner, this year's intern minister at All Souls Church across town. I am grateful for the invitation to be with you this morning. And I am especially grateful to be back here in the Midwest, where I am originally from. I'm a native Kansan, and though I recently returned from seminary in California, it is good to be back where the cicadas sing and the storms thunder and roar. As someone who grew up just north of here, in a state that differs only moderately in its cultural outlook from Oklahoma, there's... something. There is something about it, isn't there? There is something, however, in that, in that something that is comforting. Comforting to know where the challenges lay. Comforting to know where the people are and what it means to live in a place where so often my vision seems out of sync with those of my neighbors and friends. Perhaps you too have noticed it. I heard that laugh. The way that here in Oklahoma, the way that here across much of the Midwest, there seems to be an abundance of folks whose vision seems, well, odd at best, and downright strange so often. Perhaps you've noticed it and wondered how it's possible that people that seem like such nice folks, such good friends and neighbors, can believe things that are so foreign to our values and our culture. As part of my reimmersion coming back here to this place, this religiously fundamentalist region, I took a book off my shelf recently that I had been meaning to read for years. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's called Left Behind. It's a, I see some heads nodding. It's a book that's a piece of fiction set in the near future. It was first published a few years ago, back in the mid-1990s. And it's written from a premillennialist, born-again Christian point of view. A point of view that believes in the Bible as literal prophecy of the days to come. It was written by a pair of men, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And it's not just one book, actually. It's a whole series. There's 16 of them now. They've sold a combined 65 million copies. At one time, shortly after they were first published back in the 1990s, the first four books in the series held the top four slots in the New York Times bestseller list. And so it's been fascinating for me to read this book and to see what that vision of the future is, a vision of the future that reflects a very theological viewpoint. And I want to be clear here that although these books were clearly written as fiction, The authors, the supporters, the believers behind them see them as fictional only in this sense, that the events they write about have not yet happened. But the basic outline, the major features that drive that plot, those are real to them. And it's just a matter of waiting for them to happen. On the jacket cover of my copy, it has this praise Many scenes in this book could easily be the lead news stories tomorrow. And the main features of this story are not fiction. 
Those not prepared will be left behind. This book describes the dramatic days ahead. Here is a book that demands to be read. Now, I don't know about you, but as a religious liberal, I often find myself flabbergasted that anyone could believe any such thing. Flabbergasted at such an outrageous viewpoint. It's a kind of biblical literalism that Unitarians and Universalists have been preaching against for generations, influenced by reason and rational inquiry the way we are. The willingness to believe in a future that's so out of sync, a vision that conflicts with everything we know about science and nature and the universe. For more than 200 years, our religious ancestors have been preaching and teaching the gift of our mind to investigate, to learn from the world that we live in, to favor conclusions that are broadly applicable, favoring things that don't ask us to suspend the rules of physics and chemistry and biology for something to happen. We've lived out in the world the belief that, if anything, it is the very gift of God that we can and should use our brains to inquire about our beliefs, our visions, and our theologies. And we have taught that when there is a conflict between what we believe and what science and history and archaeology and geology and all the other learnings have found, that we must adjust our belief, must move to be in communion with what our inquiry has found. It's why we can't believe that the Bible is a literally true account of history and why we can't believe that a Bible-based prophecy like the Left Behind series holds any water. Inspiring scripture, the Bible may be, but it is not a literal account of the world as it was, is, and will be. That's a view that as Unitarian Universalists we simply cannot share. But, as Oklahomans, it's incumbent upon us to understand the biblical literalists, even if they will never try to understand us. And it's incumbent upon us because of what this vision they hold, this vision of the future that our friends and neighbors have that leads to something leads to decisions that affect each and every one of us and our children and our grandchildren for generations to come. What's the point of planting a tree if you believe that everyone will be gone in a few years? What difference does it make whether we address systematic injustice and criminal sentencing laws if the good people, and that's what's really implied here, that the good people, the true believers, will be raptured away before the season is gone. And this is not the first time, and it will not be the last time, that prophecy and preaching will arise of the end times eminent among us. We have seen this before, and we will see it again. A vision of the future that clouds people's vision the way a summer storm 
blocks out the sky, lit up only by the brief and intermittent flashes of dangerous lightning striking randomly in our communities. But I'm not actually here to talk about the fundamentalists this morning. You see, I mention all of this because I believe that we all have the capacity to fall into having our vision narrow our field of view so we can no longer see what is around us here. Like looking out a window from the same angle every day, never realizing what we aren't seeing. I used to work as an environmental scientist for the Kansas Department of Health and Environment. I worked in an office building across the street from the state capitol up on the fourth floor. And from my cubicle, there was a small window I could look out of. And from my particular angle in this cubicle and at my desk, looking out the window, I could see the dome of the state capitol. And on the top of the dome of the state capitol, there is a statue of a caw man. He's dressed in his loincloth, pointing his bow and arrow at the North Star. His name is Ad Astra, named after the Kansas state motto, to the stars through difficulty. And that was all I could see from my window. I didn't live in Topeka. I actually lived an hour away in Manhattan. And I commuted to work in a carpool. It would have been easy for me to never see the rest of town, to drive to work, to go to my office, to look out that window and imagine that that was all that there was to the city, that Topeka was a city of beauty striving for greatness. And if that was what I had chosen to do, I would have missed a lot of what was real. I would have missed the things that were right nearby that I never saw. You see, downtown Topeka, like so many cities, has seen better days. And there was much of that downtown that was not visible from my window. There were boarded-up homes just a few blocks away. Long, abandoned schools that served neighborhoods that now feel more like streets running through weeds and dilapidation. Churches that once bustled with Sunday activity, whose bells are now silent. And the new and vibrant parts of town that are further out. The string of parks and open spaces that provide that refuge from the hustle and bustle of the city we all so value. The stores and the restaurants and the factories that are the engine of the city, that drive the life of the city, but we're far from downtown. None of that could be seen from my window. I had to get outside to see how much I did not see. Our vision can be a great blessing. It can inspire us to new heights and to greater effort and narrow our focus so we don't waste our time with what doesn't need to be done. A strong and steady vision helps us to let slip past our peripheral vision the distractions that will not help us or anyone else. But when a vision, like a vision of a rapture soon to come, a vision becomes so narrow that we think that all we see is all that there is, we lose a valuable check on our lives. We begin to use our vision as a kind of autopilot 
to guide us on our way, never truly being present to the world right around us in that moment. Like a GPS unit that does not know that construction has turned a six-lane highway into a two-lane parking lot, pushing us forward in our path. Like an old highway map still in your car from the first year you bought it that tells you about a destination that lies ahead that no longer has so much as a gas station, much less somewhere to settle in for the night. Like a static description from a backcountry field guide that tells us about a stream that we've been looking for. But it doesn't tell us that it's been dried up for months because of the drought we haven't been paying attention to or that it's flooded over because of recent rains and is now the bridge is an island in a raging stream. I told you a moment ago I went to Star King School for the Ministry in California. Rebecca Parker is a Unitarian Universalist minister and president of that school. She's written a number of books, and in one of them she tells the story of a time when she was a young woman, when she was headed across country to seminary with her best friend. She and her friend had enough time on their hands to take the back country roads, to admire the scenery. And as they wound their way through Pennsylvania, they encountered a rainstorm. But protected by their car and inside it, they paid little attention to the warning signs, the way the side roads were closed off the flashing yellow lights that warned of danger ahead. You see, they believed that the danger had come and gone. They saw evidence of high water, sandbags, but concluded that a major flood had happened and that it was now gone. It wasn't until they passed out of town. They wound their way around the roads to the next stop on their way. And then they realized the flood wasn't past, but present. They rounded a bend and saw a sheet of water rising in front of them. And as they quickly tried to turn their car around on this winding, narrow road, they realized that water was rising behind them as well. As they watched that muddy water rise over the muddy ground, covering more and more of their escape routes, they rushed for higher ground where they might be safe. They left behind their car and all that was in it to be covered by the flood rising around them. She writes, Soaked to the bone, we huddled under a fir tree. The cold water of the storm poured down on us, baptizing us into the present, a present from which we had been insulated by both our car and our misjudgments about the country we were traveling through. As Unitarian Universalists, we have always taught that it is as important to be present in the here and now as it is to have a vision of the future. We pride ourselves on being a visionary people, and we should Our vision of marriage equality 
was fully formed decades before anyone in this country had the legal right to marry their same-sex partner. Our vision of democracy in our congregations and in society at large, that continues to push us forward, guiding our work in the world so that more people have more say in the issues that affect their lives. Our vision of a respectful relationship with ecosystems on which our lives depend has helped to lead us towards waters that are fishable, swimmable, drinkable, helped to guide us towards work, towards cities where people with less and less frequency choke on the smog that was once so common in our communities. Our vision of a world with human dignity for all, that continually calls us It guides us to work for better health care for all, for education for every girl and boy, to help them learn and grow in this world. They're life-giving visions, and they're at the core of our faith. Everything we believe, everything we as Unitarian Universalists do, we put up against this important question. Does this thing, does this vision, does this activity, does it contribute to life or death? Does it lead to justice or injustice? As I was reflecting on all of this over the last few weeks, I was taken back to something Fred Garcia taught me. He's a Unitarian Universalist and a communications consultant. He runs a strategic consulting firm up in New York City, and he's worked for decades with private clients, with the United States Marine Corps, and with lots of Unitarian Universalists along the way, training emerging and existing leaders in strategic communication. For Fred, his work with the Marine Corps is actually immediately tied to his work for justice in the world. Because Fred believes that many of the lessons of communication are the same as the lessons of war. And he speaks extensively about the role of planning ahead, of having a vision for what you want to achieve and how you'll get there. He published a new book last spring, and in it he introduced me to someone I'd never heard of, Helmuth von Moltke. Von Moltke, in his own military sort of way, uh, German 19th century military kind of way said so much the same thing. He said, no plan ever survives the first contact with the enemy. And it's the same with a vision. The problem with a vision, like the premillennialist rapture-ready vision, is not just that it's wrong on the facts, which it is, but it's more than that. It's that it's a vision that disconnects us from the world around us in the here and now. And it does it in a way that dismisses the significance of being present in the here and now. You see, I believe that there are at least two different kinds of visions in life. One kind of vision that closes us in. A kind of vision that's like a walled garden that separates us from the world we're part of, that we arise out of, and that we return to. This is the kind of vision that block us out from those who are in our neighborhoods, those who are in our states, who are in our country, those who we share the world with by dividing the good from the bad, the saved from the unsaved. 
the worthy, and the worthless. This is the kind of vision that remains fixed and unchanging, even as the world has changed all around it. But there's another kind of vision, the kind that helps bring focus without separation. It's the kind of vision that helps us to see what has always been present, even when we wanted to ignore it. It's the kind of vision that guides us forward, helping to bring sunshine on those around us, lighting the way for those we share the journey with. It's the kind of vision that knows the difference between being far-sighted and having tunnel vision. It's the kind of vision that can turn from side to side, up and down, and see what's right at our feet, and still remember where we're going. That's the kind of vision our faith calls us to. A vision that's responsive to the world as it is, while also leading us to the future that we seek. We cannot let our vision be like those that would blind us to the changing landscape always in front of us as we move forward. Our vision must be focused by the values that underlay the world we wish to create. As Fred would say, it's the strategic thing to do if we would achieve the world we dream about. And more than that, it's the worldly way our faith calls us to be. Our vision is not a calendar with clear timelines of when this and that and the other will happen. It's not a chessboard in which our goal is to defeat the enemy or a battlefield with much the same idea. Our vision is something different. It is the way in which we give life to our values by seeing how they will be in the community we wish to live in. This world is a blessing, and life is a gift, and we have it in each and every one of us to hold forth our vision for the future. So may you go out this week into the world waiting to meet you at the door and carry your vision with you and see all that meets you on your way.